0: What we all desperately want are some more answers. Yes. You know, we've done a lot of work in the past seven years, we've ruled out huge numbers of things, um, but as of yet, you know, we don't truly understand what's happening. Uh, and, and that's really what this continued work is hoping to achieve. But much like in human medicine and many other fields in veterinary medicine, you know, it takes time.
1: Welcome to the Vet Times Podcast, a concise, weekly, topical, clinical podcast from the people behind Veterinary Times. A disease of unknown etiology, CRGV, or Alabama rot, has attracted national headlines and is the subject of extensive veterinary research. Leading the research efforts is David Walker of Anderson Moore's Veterinary Specialists, who talks to the Vet Times Podcast about the disease's history, clinical signs, and the latest UK data. Good morning, David. How are things? Morning, Paul. Yeah, thank you very much for the invite. Very kind of you. No problems at all. Um, so here we are at London Vet Show. Um, you were speaking about something different, but we'll come on to that at, at, towards the end. But you've been working quite a lot on CRGV uh, and at Anderson's Moors and obviously alongside Vets for Pets. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how this has been going and explain a bit about the process?
0: Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I've been working on uh, cutaneous and renal glomerular vascularopathy now, CRGV, sometimes known as Alabama Rot, uh, for about, about seven years now. And yeah, my, that time has has flown. Um, So the the way I first became involved is we had four dogs referred to us from a practice in the New Forest. uh, And those dogs were all presenting with skin lesions and acute kidney injury. And I must say for the first dog, we didn't think too much about it, but the, the combination of acute kidney injury and skin lesions is actually quite unusual. So then by the second dog that we saw, we thought, this this is quite unusual. And we were seeing them within a a close time period. And unfortunately that dog died, but the owner very kindly consented to post-mortem. And that's really when we became aware that this was CRGV. So to give you a bit of background, so this is a disease that was first identified in the USA in the 1980s and 1990s and at that point it was a disease exclusively of greyhounds, uh, typically racing greyhounds uh, and it was causing these uh, signs of the skin lesions which are often uh, on the limbs, often on the legs, below the elbow, below the knee, often they're well demarcated ulcers and erosions, sometimes involving the pads, sometimes interdigital. And then a proportion of those dogs would go on and develop acute kidney injury. So not all. So some would just have skin lesions, but some would have skin lesions and go on and develop acute kidney injury. Uh, So so this work was all coming out of the U.S. in the 80s and the 90s. uh, And there was some potential association with the feeding of raw food. But actually, looking back at the literature, that probably wasn't the case. And there was lots of work done, and nobody knew what the cause was. And then it all sort of went a little bit quiet. Uh, I think greyhound racing in the U.S. reduced in terms of its popularity. And I think we all forgot about the disease. In all honesty, um, you know, I remember being at vet school in the uh, late '90s, early noughties, and you know, CRGV was mentioned in passing in my dermatology lectures. You know, it was a couple of sentences in my dermatology notes. So then, fast forward to 2012, 2013 and are starting to see these cases in the UK. And what's been really fascinating is that this is not a greyhound disease anymore. We've been seeing multiple breeds of dogs across the whole of the UK with this disease process year on year.
1: And the big geographical spread, as you say, I mean, it's it's, it's quite unusual to to pin down, I'm guessing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose I'd be a little hesitant to use the word spread. I mean, we first identified the disease in the south. So the practice that I work at is in Winchester, so Hampshire. Uh, and, and initially, we were getting most reports of cases around them. We were seeing them at Anderson Moore's. Um, I think what then happened is that the media got interested in this disease. I started to write in Veterinary Times and other publications. I lectured at BSAVA London Vet Show, and the awareness of this disease amongst the pet owning public and veterinary practitioners increased. Yeah. And then we've seen cases from around the UK. So I think there's an increased geographical range of this disease yes. now, but I think perhaps that's because of increased awareness. I'm not convinced that it's a true spread.
1: We tend to see an increase this time of year, more cases reported, and I believe you've got some, some latest uh, sort of uh, data for us.
0: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, we've done quite a lot of work on this, and, and we see over 92% of cases between November and May. So there is a definite seasonality to this disease process, and some of the epidemiological work that we've done uh, suggests that when the weather is a bit milder and a bit wetter, in those colder months between November and May, that's when we're more likely to see cases. Dogs are more likely to be affected if they're walked in woodland areas, as opposed to uh, pastures. Um, But we don't know with 100% confidence that there definitely is an environmental trigger for this disease, although we strongly suspect it. So in terms of up-to-date case numbers, so we've now confirmed 193 dogs with CRGV across the whole of the UK. And it's important to say that to confirm a case, the dog has to undergo some degree of post-mortem examination. So unfortunately, that's 193 deceased dogs. We have had some dogs that have survived the disease. Uh, We don't include those in the case statistics because we can't be 100% certain, and it definitely was CRGV um, because of the fact they haven't had post-mortem. Uh, and then we've had 18 cases to date in 2019. Uh, and that is a, a step down from where we were in 2018 when we had 52 cases. Right. Um, 40 cases in uh, 2017. But then there has been some degree of year-on-year variation. So it's great that this year we've had fewer dogs affected. But obviously we can't predict what's going to happen next year. No, of course. I think one, one thing I'd be... Really keen to um, impart for your listeners Mm. is is how they might identify one of these dogs in in practice. Um, obviously I said the definitive diagnosis is made on post-mortem so that's of of very little use Um, so if you are presented with a dog with a skin lesion then obviously the vast majority of the time it's not going to be CRGV Uh, you know vets in practice are seeing huge amounts of derm cases and you know most of them are not going to be CRGV there are plenty of images out there so I would definitely urge vets to you know try and have a look at some of those images there's some nice ones on our website and some more some nice ones on the vets for pets website um because these lesions are, you know, they're different to what you would normally see as a dog with skin disease. As I say, they're often these well-demarcated ulcerative lesions. Sometimes you can see nasty pad lesions into digital lesions. If your index of suspicion is increased for CRGV, then I think getting some blood work would be a sensible thing to do. Okay. Ideally, a full biochem, a folio analysis. If that's not financially possible, then even just a creatinine uh, would be really useful. The other thing that's really useful is a platelet count. So that can just be a manual estimate. You know, it doesn't have to be an expensive blood test. What we know is that at the point of these dogs developing azotemia, just under 80% of them are thrombocytopenic, just under 70% of them are hyperbilirubinemic, or so high bilirubin. Uh, and just under 30% of them are anemic. So, so the, the collection of skin lesions, kidney failure, low platelet counts, high bilirubin, you know, just pushes CRGV right to the top of the differential list and if vets are seeing cases that they're worried might possibly maybe be CRGV, then we're always happy to be called and have a chat about those cases and look at some of those pictures. Absolutely. Better safe than not, I guess. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So um, do you think we're going to see potential treatments? I mean, you mentioned obviously about the discoveries in America. Are they sort of doing similar work as you're doing here? And they seeing what sort of cases are they seeing?
0: So, So to the best of my knowledge in the States, they're not seeing the greyhounds with this disease anymore uh, the person who was primarily interested in this disease and erasing greyhounds in the US is now retired yeah. uh, so I don't think there's a lot of research work going okay. on in the US but the, not
1: affecting other, other dogs
0: at all, uh, as, be, as best we know, best yeah, we know. Okay. as best we know not affecting other breeds of dog yeah. uh, in the US um, so, so the work is really being now driven uh, in the UK, uh, driven by myself and my colleagues at Anderson Moores, but in collaboration with some of the uh, universities. Uh, so so we've partnered with the Royal Veterinary College, with the University of Surrey, uh, with the University of Liverpool, and we're trying to drive forward this work. You know, what we all desperately want are some more answers. Yes. You know, we've done a lot of work in the past seven years. We've ruled out huge numbers of things. Um, but as of yet, you know, we don't truly understand what's happening. Uh, and that's really what this continued work is hoping to achieve. But much like in human medicine and many other fields in veterinary medicine, you know, it takes time. Well, of course, we want instantaneous answers, but you know, this is going to be years of work. And, you know, hopefully we'll get there. We'll get some answers. But I think only once we've got those answers can we then truly develop definitive treatment plans you yes. know at the moment our treatment is very much focused on intensive management of that acute kidney injury uh you know as vets will be doing for many causes of acute kidney injury that they see so yeah i i, I can't tell you of anything new special at the moment yeah. we need to do that work first
1: but you must get must be getting a lot of satisfaction working on something such as this um, and hopefully it, that will come and we'll have we'll have more answers
0: uh, absolutely you know it's, it's it's a fascinating disease process to work on it it is very intellectually stimulating. I wish I didn't have to work on it. No, it's a no. devastating disease. You know, it's so upsetting when you see the clients with these affected dogs, and you know they're often young, middle-aged yeah. dogs in the prime of their life that are taken by this disease process. It's it's awful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as a as a disease process, it's it's a very interesting one to work on.
1: Okay. And finally, you were speaking at uh, the London Vet Show, not on, on this topic, but you were actually speaking
0: about CIRD complex. Um, can you tell me a bit more about what that involved? Sure. So, um, yeah, the Canine Infectious Respiratory Disease Complex is, is the new-ish name for what we used to call kennel cough. Uh, so we're very much trying to move away from the terminology of uh, kennel cough because this is not a disease of the, the kennel dog mm. or not exclusively a disease of the kennel dog. Uh, you know, we know about the the pathogens that we were all taught about at vet school, Bordetella and influenza virus and adenovirus and there are some new viruses and bacteria now that we think about more commonly, so uh, respiratory coronavirus, pneumovirus, mycoplasma. Uh, so, yeah, so I was talking a little bit about some of those organisms um, the main reason for talking is because Zoetis are launching this very exciting new product uh, called Versican Plus BB Oral, which is actually an oral border teller vaccination. So I, I don't need to tell your listenership how challenging mm. intranasal border teller vaccination is. Um, my parents own a dog and they will not put the dog into kennels because they just won't have that intranasal border teller vaccine. This is a really, really simple vaccine to give that I think is really gonna change the rates of vaccination for Bordetella. And by increasing the rates of Bordetella vaccination with this easy to give vaccine, then what we're hopefully going to do is reduce morbidity for those individually affected dogs. We're gonna reduce spread Amongst the population, and also, we're hopefully going to reduce antibiotic use um, because we know that if dogs are presenting to the first opinion practitioners with respiratory signs, then understandably a fair proportion of those dogs will be given antibiotic therapy and we know from some data that's out that it's just under 40 percent of dogs that present to their vets with a respiratory disease that are given antibiotics so if we can get more dogs vaccinated against pathogens like bordetella fewer of them will present to their first opinion vets and fewer of them will be given antibiotics and you know that has got to be a good thing for the profession
1: absolutely brilliant sounds brilliant fascinating thank you so much for joining me today it's been brilliant thank you thanks Paul. thank you that's it for vet times podcast this time thanks to our guest if you like what you've heard tell your friends and leave us a review on itunes but for now thanks for listening see you next time